0: Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. All right. Well, welcome everyone. And today we have the great pleasure of talking with the three PIs of the NIH Healthcare Systems Collaboratory, which for over 10 years has advanced the nation's capacity to conduct EPCTs or embedded pragmatic trials in various healthcare settings and targeting quite a wide spectrum of health conditions. So I just, I want to welcome Drs. Leslie Curtis, Adrian Hernandez, and Kevin Weinfurt. Welcome. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. Great. Well, today's an opportunity to sort of extend our discussion from the Impact Grand Rounds that Doctors Weinfurt, Curtis and Hernandez presented a few weeks ago, really thinking back on the experience of the Healthcare Systems Collaboratory and where we are and where we're going. So I'm going to start with a pretty big question. Two of the main reasons Sort of the stumbling blocks of traditional rcts is that they're expensive and they're often underpowered in fact these couple considerations were in part some of the impetus for epcts trying to do i don't know more for less so acknowledging i think we've learned that there's a lot of learning yet to be done in conducting pragmatic trials and for all the challenges that the impact in healthcare systems collaboratory experience to date some suggesting that even EPCTs are maybe equally difficult trial design in different ways, introducing a whole new set of shortcomings. The big question is, what would you say are the markers that further investment in pragmatic trials by funding agencies are either warranted or not warranted? Maybe, Kevin, I'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not.
1: The softball <laughs> questions. Wow. Um The markers that say the last part again.
0: Well, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, at some point we're going to have to take stock and decide, you know, whether investment in this type of trial design or ongoing investment isn't, you know, something we want to continue doing, or something maybe we don't, or need to pivot, or something like that. Acknowledging, in fact, why EPCTs were promoted over a decade ago now to try to get over the shortcomings of traditional RCTs, but now we have a new set of challenges. So I'm just sort of wondering, put your hat on as the head out of the NIH, like when do we, you know, what's the markers for continuation, or saying, you know, maybe this isn't a trial
1: design that's worth pursuing. Yeah, I'll, I'll start out, and, uh, and I know Leslie and Adrian will be able to fill it in a bit better, but you know, one thing that strikes me is that when the collaboratory began, I think this comparison between a more traditional trial and a PCT was made with the idea in mind that maybe similar research questions were being answered, and I feel like Now, 10 years later, with the rise of implementation science and hybrid designs, I think there's more sensitivity that there are different types of questions for which the PCT design and kind of typical settings that we see in the collaboratory are best suited. And so it's not the case that for some of these questions, you could do either a traditional trial or a PCT. I think we have a better understanding that there are some questions for which this is just the right design, regardless of what it's going to cost or not. But there are these, those other questions, say A, B comparisons, you know, between uh, existing treatments, That maybe there, there's the option of, of doing one or the other. But I guess that's one big thing that has, that has changed. I, I don't know what Leslie or Adrian would have to say to that or mm-hmm. add to it. I guess the way I would think about it is that you know,
2: healthcare is about a three trillion dollar industry overall, and if you were just to say like, hey, take one percent of that thirty billion, that you know we should be doing as kind of I'll just say minimal R and D on how healthcare decisions are made that are different than what the usual NIH portfolio has been. You know, absolutely. So as you get closer to the daily decisions that uh, happen in healthcare, that's kind of one of the things that the collaboratory is trying to do is embedding R&D, if you will, within healthcare. And and for any industry, 1% actually would be like teeny tiny in terms of what one should be doing to continue to invent the future.
3: Picking up actually on, on something that both of them alluded to, you know, I, I think there is a there's a, a real question about what is what is the future of embedded pragmatic trials. From my perspective, there isn't a question of whether there is a future for all the reasons that both Kevin and Adrian said. But I think the future, thinking about how we design even better for implementation, since that's really one of the, I would say, one of the compelling reasons to do an embedded pragmatic trial is because at the end of the day, we want that evidence to be able to be implemented directly into practice, right, where the evidence was generated.
0: That's a good segue into my next question. I think you maybe answered it in some ways, but Being part of the Healthcare Systems Collaboratory for a project several years ago, I know that some of the earliest efforts to advance the methodology at the Healthcare Systems Collaboratory was really a lot focused on design, statistics, there was a great effort put into regulation and ethics, and I think really advanced a lot of the methodology in those areas. I think now with the learning we've done, the question is, what, what really now is the ongoing focus to further hone down and provide a foundation for conducting these trials rigorously? I know everyone so far has mentioned implementation, and I'm wondering if we had to pick a few areas really to focus on in the next few years in terms of improving how we do these trials, what's the focus of the healthcare system collaboratory now, you know, or priorities, I guess, in the next few years?
3: As you said, I think implementation and designing with implementation in mind is is a growing priority and and something that we're already working on, right? Really thinking about how we Capture and I would say categorize the types of interventions that are being done, and and how well those actually are, are being the fidelity of those interventions in the in the trials. Another piece, though, that I think is is um, also likely to be a major topic for us is just what's the right randomization design, right? So early on. There was a lot of of, uh, interest in things like cluster randomized designs and stepped wedge designs. And many of our trials have learned the hard way that what seemed like maybe the straightforward way to go wasn't quite so straightforward. So really thinking carefully about when individual randomization might actually make more sense than Mm -hmm. some of the other approaches.
2: I think a a related thing that um, Maud said topic area that's of high interest to everyone uh, which is how to close health inequities, it's also the, the research on how to do so, especially within doing embedded clinical trials, where it's really important to you know have the communities engage and bring them along or co-create these for the communities here. And so I think those are going to be special efforts here, and they'll have different potential issues that um, will be encountered as people are trying to get closer to addressing those types of questions.
1: Maybe I'll just add a a last thing, and that is really a consideration more for investigators who would be coming into the collaboratory with the trial than it is for us working with trials that are already accepted, and that is trying to figure out when it's the right time to test interventions of a given complexity. Because I think the experience to date is that, you know, there were some, the, some interventions that people were very hopeful about that didn't really pan out. and The question is, it was, was it too light touch? Was it based on too many assumptions for which we didn't really have proof of concept about? And so I think there'll probably be more reflection now among people proposing trials about the right situation for con- for testing an intervention and what's that intervention that ought to be tested and for our part from the collaboratory side we'll continue to try to document things like intervention complexity and to look across trials to see what lessons can be learned about the degree to which interventions demonstrate effectiveness as a function of their complexity and other other environmental characteristics
0: yeah i mean i think that there, there is this balance between too light a touch and too complex so that it can't be implemented and too light a touch so it doesn't do anything. I, I think we still haven't figured out what works, although different things might work for different circumstances. The other thing we've struggled with a little bit at Impact, and I'm just wondering what your take is, especially for dementia, we've noticed that a lot of our pilot studies are coming in and want to either... Adapt an intervention that's been used in non dementia to the dementia population or maybe a dementia intervention, but adapt it for a Latinx community and we're struggling a little bit with how much adaptation is too much adaptation where you've changed the intervention you've got to go back in what we refer to a lot as the NIH stage model, but again you don't want to take fifteen years to do something so it's it Adaptation is something we've been thinking a lot about at Impact. Any thoughts?
1: It's a really big question, and it seems like people are going to need to be more mindful about all the all the different ingredients of a given intervention and the rationale for why it's supposed to work and a very careful analysis of how they're adapting it And to what extent are they just changing window dressings versus making real structural changes, maybe inadvertently? And also, we in NIH have spent time trying to figure out what types of tests need to be done in that first year to assess feasibility and things like that. If people are adapting interventions, what are some of the hypotheses that need to be tested then prior to going into actually conducting the trial that reassures us that the intervention is still working the way that we assumed it was, and so we don't need to go to kind of an earlier stage of evidence generation. It's going to be pretty tricky to do.
3: And, you know, Susan, to a point that you made, there's there's a real balance, a, a fine line between studying the adaptation of the intervention for 15 years until that adapted intervention is no longer relevant, but we know perfectly well exactly what it would look like if it were. And I really like, I like what Kevin proposed, probably just off the top of his head, but just being much clearer and more articulate exactly what those assumptions are, test them, discuss them, and then make plans to formally test them during that first year of of the study before you go forward.
2: It's an example um, where you know it's easier often to discuss and put it on PowerPoint slides and actually do it in the real world. And so, I think one of the things that will happen as we go forward is that you know as these types of programs are increasingly more embedded or increasingly seen as uh, necessary for improving health, then like then that you know fosters an environment where adaptation will be highly relevant. Uh, the other thing, to, to Kevin's point, there is going to be certain situations where, like, there's going to need to be a decision-making to really understand, like, do the interventions work as planned, or how do they need to be modified along the way, or the external environment, you know, actually causes them to be modified by necessity, because uh, we're doing this inside of everyday life.
0: Let's try give a little more, a few more minutes to issue of uh, health equity and EPCTs. We've put a lot of thought in and realized, you know, each of the pressy domains has health equity considerations, uh, you know, different than a, a regular traditional randomized trial. I'm interested in how your collaboratory is going to be taking some practical steps to sort of advancing integration between health equity and embedded pragmatic trials.
3: As you know, Susan, the Pragmatic Trials Collaboratory, we we learn by virtue of the demonstration projects that are funded by NIH institutes and centers, right? So this next tranche or set of demonstration projects will be focused on interventions. We'll be testing interventions to reduce health inequities. So the, the answer to your question about what we will do, I, I almost reframe it in my mind as, and how will we learn about what to do and how to really use embedded trials to reduce health inequity. So we have a great colleague who will be leading really some of the the community and health equity focused work in the, in a new core in the collaboratory, which is, which is exciting. We will also I know be looking to the demonstration projects to sort of help all of us in the community learn about how to do these best and you know what what we can generalize from their experience to the broader community.
0: Yeah. I'll give a I'll give a personal shout out to the best practice sheets that we've worked on that just came out recently that we hope everyone can leverage pretty high level but very practical.
2: Part of like similar to what we've done for other collaboratory programs is these cores and a core dedicated to this area will help people understand uh, their blind spots, what they may not have realized before as they launch studies that are directly trying to address um, health inequities in some way. <laughs> The second thing is that, you know, there is an underlying premise that, you know, if you have these programs that are closer to the health of all, that it will naturally help improve uh, health inequities. That's a hypothesis. And so uh, we actually have to see if that actually bears out or when does it not or what situations uh, does it not and there's also some interesting and important ethical considerations, especially for these embedded programs that often rely on a waiver of consent because they're essentially uh, testing out different strategies of care that exists in usual care, but vary, especially with the history in certain communities with research that cross ethical boundaries um, or uh, mistrust in science or mistrust in healthcare. And so how we do that together and address those uncertainties is important.
1: I'll add two other things related to sort of training and developing new scholars. You know, I think that we have an interest in trying to diversify the research workforce in pragmatic trials. And so we're exploring an an approach whereby we would get fellows who could participate with the Collaboratory Coordinating Center and learn about doing pragmatic research, but fellows who are from underrepresented minority populations. And then the other thing that we're doing very intentionally is looking at the training activities that we do, as I know IMPACT does, and looking at those agendas and slide sets and trying to figure out the best way to incorporate the perspectives of diversity, equity, inclusion in the, uh, the curriculum there and not, not make it just sort of a, a side token topic But how is it meaningfully integrated into teaching people about pragmatic trials? So those are a couple other things that we're working on.
0: Yeah, we found um, we have a little bit of a similar program called our Faculty Scholars Program, where we have more junior people come and join our cores. And we found that also a really good venue for bringing in a more diverse group of young investigators. Well, that's exciting that you're going to have a a core and look forward to learning from it. Last question, just getting a little bit away from the science. As you know, I'm an MPI with Vince Moore, and we've quite the partnership at Impact. And it's become clear that, you know, he has his buckets and I have my buckets. And I'm just wondering about the experience of having three PIs and how you guys divvy things up and work together to make such a great healthcare systems collaboratory work.
1: Adrian and I just do what Leslie tells us to and it all works <laughs> yeah, well. That's
0: what I figured, yeah.
1: No, I will I, I will say seriously that, you know, when Rob Caleb called us up and said, I'd like you three to, to do this, you know, we all said yes. And we had worked with one another. Actually, Adrian and Leslie worked together for years and years very closely. But I... I think I was surprised just how completely effortless the multiple PI workings went. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but it it just did. And so, you know, we each have some different foci. We each have slightly different cognitive styles. And it just somehow uh, works in a a quite magical way. So I, I can't really compare it to any other situation I've had like this say it's just a, a lot of fun so you know people have collaborative and
2: complementary uh, areas of interest here and there's also kind of a, a trust on each other as things go along like people will get busy and so um, someone else will pick up the ball and uh, move things uh, forward so it's uh it's very natural and it's just I'll just say pure fun so
3: I think that's it the reason why it works so well is because we actually mm-hmm. have a lot of fun <laughs>
0: Well, I, I can give my opinion why it works so well is because Tammy Reese really takes care of all you guys. You're in control. That's
3: right. We all do what Tammy says. That's the right answer. Tammy doesn't forget anything either. So she makes us look infinitely more talented than we really are.
0: Well, this this has been fun. And just want to thank you all again for your leadership and your collegiality. And I just thank you.
1: Great. Thanks for the opportunity, thank Susan.
3: You. Thank you, thank you, you Susan. Susan. Take care. Right.
0: Bye bye. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.